0: Well, what we're doing today is we're actually finishing up our sermon series that we've been, that we've been in for the past eight weeks. Uh, we, over, what we've been doing for the past two months is that we are considering really our, our liturgy. What is the purpose of our liturgy? Uh, because I know uh, that when we, you think about liturgy very specifically, is that liturgy has this a certain stereotype that liturgy engages the mind, but it doesn't engage the heart. And so and therefore it does it's not a true uh, demonstration of what it means to to, to walk with God. And so but on the other hand, like the purpose of worship is that we become whom we worship, and even how we worship matters. And so, this entire series has has been meant to explain why we worship the way we do. What is the purpose of each aspect of our of our service? So last week we looked at the Lord's Supper. Week week before that we looked at. Uh, the fact that of us, like, why do we even have a sermon? And today we're thinking about the benediction and, and sending. And and very specifically, uh, we're looking at John chapter 20, verses uh, 19 through 23. If you have a, a blue Bible, it's on page 907, or you can follow along in your worship guide. And, and so today we're taking up this idea that we are the sent people of God, that we are the sent people. People of God. And so we see this very clearly in this text. So let's dive into God's word. This is Matthew chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. On the evening of, of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us one more time. Father, we ask that you be with us now as we consider your word. May you be at work in our hearts and our lives as we come to understand what it means for us to be the sent people of God. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So docked at, at the U.S. Naval Conservatory's Pier 82 just in Philadelphia on the Delaware River is the USS United States. When it was launched in 1952, it was the fastest ship in, in the world. It set records as it went across the Atlantic Ocean, transporting people from, uh, from New York and Philadelphia to, to London and France. And this ship had two functions. Like I just mentioned, it was a passenger ship. And, but that was only to be the case during times of peace. During peacetime, it would function as a luxury liner, a passenger cruise ship. But during times of war, it was going to be a troop transport. And at worst, in worst case, it would actually serve as a hospital that would transport people back to home where they would receive care. And during its... 16 years of life from 1952 to 1968, America was engaged in conflicts in Korea, Vietnam, Laos, Lebanon, Thailand, the Dominican Republic, Cambodia, Bolivia, and more. But during those conflicts, during those 16 years of, of life, the USS United States was never called to war. And by the, just 16 years later, in fact, the USS United States was withdrawn from service. She never fulfilled her purpose. She never fulfilled her mission. Instead, she, fu- she served people's comfort as they traveled across the Atlantic. And if you would see this ship today in Philadelphia, at Pier 82, it's simply rusting away. And it would cost over $1 billion to restore. And this is a metaphor about purpose and the priorities of our lives. When we forget the, pr- the purpose of our life, then we waste away. When we prioritize our comfort over serving others, then we die. And thinking about this as a metaphor for the church, is the church meant to be a luxury passenger liner that's intended to maximize comfort for you or for others? That's really aiming for calm seas? Or is the church meant for war? that is meant to face the brokenness of the world. And sadly, today, the church has a negative, negative reputation. The church is called hypocritical, judgmental, the divisive, and ingrown. And many of us have sadly experienced these realities. We have seen the church be hypocritical and judgmental. And that is because the church is ingrown. The church has lost its sense of purpose. And Jesus here in John chapter 20 is calling us, calling the church to recover our purpose. He says it quite clearly in verse 21. As the Father has sent me, I send you. As the Father has sent me, I have sent you. This is incredible. And this is life-changing when we take this to heart. The writer Henry Nouwen, He. this is how he put, the, he put it. We seldom realize fully that we are sent to fulfill God-given tasks. We act as if we have to choose how, where, and with whom to live. We act as if we were simply plopped down in creation and have to decide how to entertain ourselves until we die. But we were sent into the world by God just as Jesus was. Once we start living our lives with that conviction, we will soon soon know what we were sent to do. The point is that we as the church are sent by God. And that simple idea of being sent by God is meant to inform everything about us. But it also tells us something about God. That the fact that we are sent tells us something about God. That God is a sending God. And if, when you look at the Gospels, when you look at the entire Bible, you see sending over and over and over again. If you look at the Old Testament, you see God sending both his Spirit and his prophets to announce his word. God wants to reveal himself. God wants to rescue sinners. And if you look at the New Testament, that continues. God sends his Son. The Father and Son then send the Spirit and send the church. And in the and the Spirit empowers the church to be God's missionary people, and if you just look at the Gospel of John alone, just the Gospel of John, over forty times Jesus is described as being sent by God. We see this very clearly here in John twenty. We see it in John and. John 20, 21 is actually the second time the disciples have heard, as the Father has sent me, I send you. Jesus says this in John 17, uh, verse 8. And so the point is, is that God is a missionary God. His heart is a missionary's heart. His goal is to restore all creation to himself. His goal is to restore people, places, and things to himself. That's his mission. And Christians have a role within that mission. The church, by Jesus' own words, is a missionary entity. The church is missional. We are sent. Jesus sends you out on mission. And in doing so, you are actually participating in God's life. And so the idea of being sent by God is what I want us to explore today. We are sent by Jesus. And so Jesus... In verse 21, Jesus shows us that our mission is a continuation of his mission. That's fascinating that he appeals to his own mission. As the Father sends me, I send you. And so for us to even begin to make sense of our mission in the world and our mission in life, we need to first ask, what is Jesus' mission? What was Jesus' mission? Why did Jesus come? And so that's the first thing I want us to think about today as we uh, step into this. What was Jesus' mission? Because we see this as the Father sent me. Let's understand this more clearly. And this only makes sense when we understand the full story of Scripture, the full story of God. And within the Reformed tradition, we, and here at Ironworks, we talk about Scripture as being the story of God. And it has four chapters, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And this is a these four chapters are a helpful way to really look at all of scripture and to really help us understand Jesus's mission. And so to 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 look at scripture through the lens of these four chapters, like we see chapter 1, the, the story of creation tells tells us of God creating the world. It's amazing, it's beautiful, it's true, it's good, it's beautiful. God is king. He reigns over everything. At Every single time God creates, he says, it is good. It is good. This is very good. There's no such thing as evil. There's no such thing as pain. There's no suffering whatsoever. In fact, Adam and Eve, they know God. They have a perfect marriage. A perfect marriage. That's amazing. There's no conflict. They're not fighting. They're not bickering. They're not blaming one another. They're not manipulating or guilting creating guilt trips. They're not doing any of that. They also know themselves, and they demonstrate God's reign over all things as they go to fill the earth and subdue it. God's reign is established. God is king, and and as you look at the world, it's good, it's beautiful, and it's perfect. It's amazing. But that's chapter one, and then chapter two, you come to the fall, and this is when creation falls from God's creational design. Adam and Eve sin. They rebel against God's reign. They vandalize his beautiful kingdom in the world. And so the consequences of their original sin are devastating. Now we are alienated from God. We are disconnected from God. Adam and Eve, who who walked with God in the garden, are now hiding from God. They're hiding from him. They're alienated from him. And then when they are challenged and confronted with their sin, they turn on one another. They throw each other off the bu- under the bus. The woman who you gave me. And then you keep going into the very next chapter, and we see brothers fighting and in fact, killing one another. See, sin turns families into enemies. Sin corrupts us and disconnects us from ourselves. So we look at ourselves, and we even wonder who we are. And so, and then even lastly, like, sin makes work just plain miserable and hard. And so we can look at the world now and due to sin, we can say, this is not God's reign. This isn't how things are meant to be. This isn't how things are supposed to be. This is not what God intended for this world. And this is all within the chapter of the fall. But then we go to chapter 3, and this is the chapter of redemption. And the chapter of redemption tells the story of God's love and rescue for people, places, and things. And see, God promises Adam and Eve that someday a rescuer will come to deliver them and people and everything. But here's the surprising thing. When, when we talk about redemption, just because of that word, if you have have been grown have you grown grown up in the church at all you may jump straight from genesis chapter 3 all the way to the gospel of matthew and you may only be thinking that redemption is a theme of the new testament that forgiveness is a theme of the the new testament and that's because redemption and forgiveness and, and love and rescue, these are the dominant themes of the New Testament as we have the person Jesus Christ. But the reality is that Jesus is the climax of, of this entire chapter of redemption. The, the, like we just skipped over the amazing Old Testament, and like and I said this last week that when we look at the old the Old Testament, it's a it's a bizarre part of the Bible. It seems to be an alien and strange world. But the reality is the entire Old Testament is a story of redemption. Since It's a story of redemption. And, and, be, and this is because God is a sending God. God is a missionary God. Just throughout the Old Testament, we find example after example of God's rescue plan. Like in Genesis 12, when God calls and saves and rescues, Abraham says, I am rescuing you so that you will be a blessing to the nations and the entire world will be blessed. Then we look at Exodus 19 we see God rescuing Israel from Egypt. And he says, I am rescuing you. You are my treasured people. And you're going to be a kingdom of priests in this world. I want the entire world to know what my reign is like because of, of my redemption in your life. That's fascinating. And then even when Israel is exiled and they're living among their enemies, God says to them, "Through the prophet Jeremiah, seek the welfare, seek the prosperity, seek the entire uh, renewal and prosperity of your enemies. Facts: build homes, plant, plant. Plant your fields. You don't live there for a long time. The the Old Testament is full of these stories of God's rescue. And we see others like Rahab and Ruth and Naaman and the Queen of Sheba and many more come to know God by how God's people are living and and how God is, is known. So as we just look at the Old Testament, we see that God is a missionary God. God even sends the prophets, Jonah and Nahum, to Assyria, to God's enemy, and to call them to, to, to repent. And so here's the point I'm making, is that oftentimes we may think about redemption as being a, only, in G, only a New Testament thing. The reality is that God is a missionary God. He has a missionary heart. He has a missionary people, both in Israel and in the church. And so when Jesus comes, this is actually the larger story that he is participating in. He is the long-awaited, prophesied, and promised king. He is the one who has been told over and over again, a Messiah is coming. God's anointed king, who's going to make everything right, is coming. And that person is Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the climax of redemption. And so in him, we see God restoring people and places and things back to God. God is restoring and recovering his reign through Jesus. And so because of Jesus, the evil, and cons- the evil of sin is being undone. The consequences of sin are being undone. And one day... The new creation will, will come. The restoration of God's reign will come. And this is the fourth chapter of restoration. We see this, this teased. It's truly a teaser at the very end of the Bible when Jesus says, Behold, I'm making all things new. That one day there will be no more tears. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sufferings. All things will be made right again under my rule. And that's because Jesus is the rescuer. Jesus is the redeemer. Jesus is the one who came to restore all things to himself. Like Tyler earlier concluded our prayers of adoration with this passage from Colossians. I wasn't expecting it. I was like, oh, that's beautiful. But he's pointing out that Jesus is the preeminent and he is restoring all things all things, whether in heaven or on earth, back to himself. That is what Jesus came to do, to restore people, places, and things back to himself. That is how we need to understand Jesus' mission. That's what Jesus came to do. But why? Why did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus, as we learn from Philippians 2, why did Jesus... Humiliate himself? Why did God the Son take on human flesh and suffer the miseries of life and be tempted every way we are? Why did Jesus face the injustice of a cross? Why did Jesus do all that? In fact, John wants us as he is recounting Jesus' words, as the Father sends me, he is he wants us to recount and remember. John 3.16, as the Father gave forgot to so love the world that He gave, or He sent His only Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order, to, in order that the world might be saved through Him. You see, John puts it so clearly for us in John 3:16 God sent his son because he loved the world. God loves the world. He loves real people, he loves real places, he loves real things, he loves everything he made. But due to the fall, everything's rebelling against him. Everything is alienated, everything is disconnected from him. So because of his love, God sent his son to make all things right, to bring people, places and things back under his reign. To make this incredibly personal, Jesus loves you. God loves you. And Jesus came to bring you back in, into God's family. To bring you back into his reign. And this is a picture of a missionary's heart. This is a picture of, this is why Jesus came. That Jesus came to make, to restore all things. To bring rescue all things back to God. And it's because he, he loves. He loves you. So what does this mean for our life? That's all Jesus' mission. But if you look at this verse, as the Father has sent me, I send you. Like, so the, the, Jesus' mission is meant to inform our mission. So what does this mean for our life? And, like, I could honestly go on here. But I got two things for you. Two things. What's this mean for your life? The first, and I've said them both, but the first thing is that Jesus came to rescue you. Jesus came to rescue you. And so in just the mission that I, the story of God I just rehashed for us, we actually clearly see it, it's, it, that God's story is a story of mission. That God is on a mission to make all things new. But do you see yourself within that story? Because perhaps you may be wondering, like, well, hey, this is great. This is like a nice little Bible overview, but hey, where, where am I in this story? You may be wondering, like, how is this relevant to me? So, but my question, like, do you see yourself in this story? Because the truth is, we are alienated from God. We are disconnected from God. We are, in fact, rebels against God. But we're, and we're told that if we rebel against God, we are enemies with God. But the reality is, is that God loves you. And so what he did then is that he sent his son to rescue you. See, going back to creation, we are meant, we are created for life with God. We cannot thrive, we cannot flourish, we cannot truly live if we are disconnected from God. So if we want to actually have life we must know God. So if you want to know who you really are, if you want to see your life and your relationships transformed, then we need to confess our we need to f- confess to God the ways that we have rebelled against his reign. We need to confess the ways that we have fought against God and we in, need to confess those things, but we also need to inf- then hear and receive his love that he gives us in Jesus Christ. And, and the entire point of, of that love is that God it, wants to have life with us and, and he wants to share that love with others. That, and so the point is that if you have experienced the rescue of Jesus firsthand, he's the, he sends you out. If you have life with God, you are meant to share that life with others. That being engaged in God's mission actually demonstrates that we have life with God. And, and one author put it this way, and this is incredibly clear, and, I, and I, I love this quote, but this is what he says, that you are never more like God when you are living in relationships with God's people and working in partnerships for the recreation and redemption of God's world. What what he's saying there is that we, we, image God. We demonstrate, we show off who God is when we are living life with one another and working to restore all things back to God's kingdom. But why is that the case? Why is that the case? Well, that's because God is a missionary God who loves and who sends. See, Jesus saves us. Jesus saves you and Jesus sends you. This is the second thing, that what this means for life. And I've been saying it. Jesus came to send you. So Jesus came to save you. Jesus came to send you. See, you have a mission. But it's not your mission. It's actually God's mission. It's it's God's mission to restore all things to himself. And he involves you. That's fascinating. Because what we see in that is that we are actually participating in God's life. And so, so here's the question: Do we actually understand what his mission is for us? Do we understand what his mission is for us? And more, and, and the answer is no. Is we do not understand God's mission for our lives. So last week uh, we invited Matt and Leanne uh, Herring forward, and we prayed over, over them as they are going over to the Middle East as our missionaries this coming summer. And they're not the only ones uh, here today who are going. Uh, to the Middle East, they're, they're being joined by Graham and Jenna and others from, from both Eastern University and Westchester University, and this is fantastic. This is great. This is a wonderful way that we can partis- can join them, and proclaim the gospel to to the nations. But if if there's only, four, but if they're the only missionaries in here, if that's how we think about it, then we actually completely misunderstand the story of God. There's not, like, so last Sunday, there weren't four missionaries here. There were 80 missionaries here. Every single one of you, if you know God, you are a missionary. You are a missionary. And so the question is, do we have that awareness? Do we understand that we are missionaries to people, places, and things? And most likely, the answer is no. And I say that because, like, more and more, we're learning uh, about, like, uh, Well, I'll put it this way. I said, no, we don't have this awareness because, one, just think about this. When was the last time you shared the faith? When was the last time you engaged in evangelism, the practice of sharing your faith? Uh, Most recently, uh, very recently, I think like three weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago, uh, BARNA, which is this amazing research organization, uh, basically demonstrated that millennials don't find uh, evangelism to be a good thing and so the, so millennials are avoiding evangelism and and so so but like the quite so the point is we're seeing like this just even speaking about Jesus to be a, an increasingly unpopular thing and and it, the reason for that is that evangelism can actually be a source of great guilt. It can be a source of great shame. It can be also something that you're paralyzed into where you're like, hey, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to, to really do. So, like, that, there's a legit fear that paralyzes you from speaking about Jesus. And I, perhaps it's actually something else. Perhaps it's actually because we don't love our neighbors. Perhaps it's because we don't love our non-Christian friends and family. And, and and here here's where, where I'm going with this. So Pendulette, um, he's a magician. He and he's in, and if you would see if I would show you a picture of him, you'd be like, oh, I know that guy. Um, so but Pendulette is also an atheist. He's, and a world class magician. And so one night after a show, a fan came up to him and said, hey, I really enjoyed the show. And hey, I know you've been pretty outspoken about also your faith. I just want to give you a Bible and I invite you to read it. And, and Pendulet was like, oh, yeah, well, thanks. Like, he's, he's very cordial. Like, and, he, and so, but he went home, and, and he, it was clear that this actually put a big impression on his life. Because he goes down, and, and he sits down in front of his computer, and he hits the record button. He's, and he says this, uh, because he, he's, he's recalling this entire exchange. And he says, I really appreciated it. Because if you like, I don't, I don't, he says, I don't agree with these things, with what Christians believe. But if you truly believe what Christians believe, that God is real, that hell is real, and, that, and God, Jesus rescues you from, from, from hell, but you don't share that news with others. This is what he says. How much do you have to hate a person to not share the gospel with him? I don't believe in God or Jesus, but if I did, I would share this gospel with everyone almost all the time. See, that's cutting. But what he is demonstrating, the truth that he is getting at, is that love is the acid test of Christianity. That if if we as God's people are not becoming more and more loving, then that is a major problem. And we have to ask, why aren't we becoming more loving? Because God's people, above all things, are, are meant to be known for their love. And that's because our mission is to love people, places, and things, and to invite people to have life with God. Like, just recall what Jesus' mention is for God so loved the world that he sent his son. What we can actually say, because of what Jesus is saying here in John 20, is that for God so loved the world that he sent his church. That's the reality. And so the question of our lives is that do we love people in the way that Christ did? And that is incredible. And the call to love should, and this mission, this call to love shapes everything about our lives. And just to go even a step further, think about it this way. As a parent, I love my son. Like, like he's a great kid. He really is. Um, but th- tell me this: w- Would I be a good parent if I simply shared the gospel with him? That hey, I share the gospel with him, but I don't play cards with him. I pray with him, but I don't feed him. I I change his diaper, and I and, but. I, excuse me, I pray with him, but I don't uh, change his diaper. Am I being a good parent if I do all those things, but I don't actually care for him? The answer is no. And in the same way, the call of Jesus upon his disciples is that we are meant to, to do more than just share our faith. We're actually meant to tangibly care for those around us. And so, like, I would be a negligent parent. But bringing this to as a mirror or as a metaphor for our lives is that the reality is that being a part of God's family, being, a part, being on God's mission goes beyond evangelism. It includes fighting injustice. It includes feeding the hungry. It includes protecting the vulnerable and speaking up for those who have no voice. That this is the church's mission because God is working to restore all things back to him. And so, even as I just recount that list that we're supposed to fight injustice and, and give a voice and, and practice evangelism, that is actually when I start to get paralyzed because that list is daunting. It's like, that's a lot. And so what actually goes on is that, like, I am hearing this and I am being burdened. And if I'm being burdened, the reality is that is not how it's meant to be. If, if this is feeling like a burden, I'm telling you that that is, one, I, I could, yes, be doing an awful job as a preacher. That's a fact. But the other thing is that this could actually be like a, like a major misunderstanding of this because if you look at Jesus's words here he actually gives us everything that we need for this mission he gives us everything we need for this mission he gives us his spirit and he gives us his church these two things go hand in hand like look at at verse 22 received the holy spirit and so like we are the sent people of God Jesus is speaking to his disciples here and we are on. We're engaged in this mission together. Each of you, with all your skills and your talents, are created by God. You are unique, and so we share this life and this mission together. Truly, the emphasis is together here, and so we do this as a church through our, our community groups. And so, this is actually something that Nicole has been working on over the past uh, few weeks, as like she's visited now with all the, all the community groups. But so, uh, uh, so say your community group wants to serve teen moms. Uh, well, you can partner as a community group with Young Lives. Or say you want to get to know and mentor teens and uh, just pro- to provide positive role models. So you can also, your community group could serve with the Westside C- Community Center or the Melton Center or other many or- organizations in the region. Or simply say, you just want to be a good neighbor where you're caring for your neighbors, you're pro- providing meals, or just just being dependable. And you can do this. You do this through your community groups. That's how, it's, how it is meant to happen here within the church because that is how, that's God's design. And so this isn't a, a, a burden uh, that is all on one's shoulders because if we hear that, if we perceive that, then we're actually thinking, oh, hey, I'm the Messiah, but the reality is Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one who who has come to rescue and he's the king. Our job is to say, "Hey, you know what? The king is real. He defeated death and he's coming again. Let me show you what life is like." That is our job and that's joyful. And that's truly joyful. So these things all like being engaged in God's mission being sent is supposed to be a source of great joy when you when you are able to see people's lives tra- changed and transformed by the gospel where you see uh, people come to know God for the first time where people know Jesus and they see him like, hey, this is my Lord and Savior. And you see how there's this freedom from the penalty of sin. That's amazing. When you see marriages uh, rescued because of Jesus, again, that's amazing. When you begin to see these things, you develop like a holy addiction. where Because this is joyful and you want to give your life to these things. That is how God m- intended his mission to be. And so, so as he gives us the church where we do this together, he gives us also the spirit, because it's the spirit who enables and who fuels and empowers us to do this in the first place. Because we we know guilt; we we are guilty. We know shame. We we are, we are afraid, and these things can paralyze us. But it's the Spirit who shows up in our life and who frees us from these things. Who frees us from our, our fear? He frees us from our shame as he speaks God's love over us, and he reminds us that God delights in us. And like, see, see, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. The Holy Spirit. Is a, is, a, is a missionary. He, he has the same missionary heart that the Father and the Son has. And so bringing this to bear on us as a church, it's the cry of my heart that Iron, Ironworks Church is known for the mission of God, that we as the church reflect God's missionary heart to the world. And this is why we say we follow the way of Jesus for the good of Westchester, because God loves people. He loves this place, and he sent his son to rescue you so that you can be a part of it. That's wonderful news because that is a picture that God is actually rescuing you so that you can actually participate in life with him. That's what Jesus is getting at here. As the Father has sent me, I send you. And, it's be- and so because of this, we are the sent people of God. Let's pray.